Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. This is so unlike you, brother. So clandestine. Are you sure you wouldn't rather just punch your way out? If you keep speaking, I just might. Fine, as you wish. I'm not even here. Is this better? It's better company, at least. Still, we could be less conspicuous. Mmm, brother. You look ravishing. It will hurt no less when I kill you in this form. Very well. Perhaps you prefer one of your new companions, given that you seem to like them so much. Oh, this is much better. Whoa. Costume's a bit much. So tight. But the confidence. I can feel the righteousness surging. Hey, you want to have a rousing discussion about truth? Honor, patriotism, God bless America. What? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 129, Thor The Dark World. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, welcome back to Christmas, not Christmas, Christmas. It is a celebration of the Hollywood Chris. Last week we did Thor and this week Thor The Dark World. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to say a huge welcome to everyone listening. Welcome back to all returning listeners and a huge welcome to all you brand new listeners to this podcast. I assume that not many people are going to come here just for Thor The Dark World. However, if that's you and you have come for Thor The Dark World, then I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for supporting Thor The Dark World because this is a very divisive movie. And there are reasons why this movie is very divisive in the general MCU fandom. And I'm going to go into all of those very shortly. But I'm so grateful that you're here. And as I said, this is a celebration of Hollywood white guys called Chris. Last year, I covered Chris Evans and his Captain America trilogy. And this year, 
Chris Hemsworth and his Thor trilogy. As I said, certainly a little bit more divisive than the Captain America trilogy. And as always, a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to previous episodes of this podcast. The most recent ones have been Alien vs. Predator and Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. And also Thor. And yes, those are very different topics for a movie podcast to go into. Not many movie podcasts will go from the Alien vs. Predator duology to Thor. But this is not your average movie podcast. We are a bit weird here at Verbal Diorama. And when I say we, I mean me. I am very weird and I like to do very weird things. And so I like to do Alien versus Predator movies and then I like to go into Thor. So let's jump straight in to continuing the story of Thor. Because phase two of the MCU started with Iron Man 3 in May 2013. That was the first movie post The Avengers in 2012 episode 97, if you're interested in going back to that. But The Avengers was arguably a game changer for superhero cinema. And so audiences had big expectations for the follow-up movies. Iron Man 3 was a huge financial success, co-written and directed by the inimitable Shane Black. But critically, Iron Man 3 had been a little bit divisive, especially with its depiction of the Mandarin as a point of contention for some. Six months later, Thor The Dark World was released, and attracted similar criticism, except arguably a lot more criticism than Iron Man 3 did. So what happened to Thor sequel? Well, let's find out, shall we? Here's the trailer for Thor The Dark World. After all this time, now you come to visit me, brother. Why? To mock. I need your help. But I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness, and it has survived. I gave you my word. I would return for you. You face an enemy. Known only to a few. Known only to one. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. If we do nothing, they will destroy us. You even think about betraying him. I'll kill you. That was from New York. I like her. Thor, your bravery will not ease your pain. Your family, your world will be extinguished. We're running out of time. The very fabric of reality will be torn apart. I'll find a way to save us all. Anyone else? 
Once every 5,000 years, the nine realms align. These realms create portals between the worlds during the alignment, which is called the Convergence. On Earth, in London, Jane Foster believes she and her crew have discovered one such portal. Foster, while investigating the phenomenon, is transported to another realm and comes into contact with a substance called the Ether. Upon coming into contact with the Ether, it draws Thor from Asgard back to Earth. Thor takes Jane to Asgard to be cured. Unfortunately, in doing so, it draws more than just Jane to that world. Another being called Malekith, a dark elf, wants to use the Ether to destroy the Nine Realms and plunge the universe into eternal darkness. Devising a plan with his brother, the war criminal Loki, Thor heads to the Dark World to destroy the Ether and save Asgard. But can Loki be trusted? I mean, probably not. It's Loki, isn't it? Cast! Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Natalie Portman as Jane Foster. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Stellan Skarsgård as Eric Selvig. Idris Elba as Heimdall. Christopher Eccleston as Malekith. Adwale Akanoye Agbaji as Algrim, aka Curse. Ray Stevenson as Volstag. Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis. Rene Russo as Frigga. Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Tadanobu Asanu as Hogan. Zachary Levi as Fandral. Jamie Alexander as Sif. Chris O'Dowd as Richard. Additionally, Stanley cameos as a patient in the hospital with Eric Selvig. Chris Evans cameos as Loki as Captain America. And Benicio del Toro as the collector in the mid-credits scene which sets up Guardians of the Galaxy. This scene was directed by James Gunn. Additionally, Chris Hemsworth's real-life wife, Elsa Pataki, doubles as Jane for the end credits scene where Thor and Jane reunite and kiss on Earth. Natalie Portman was unavailable for those reshoots. Thor The Dark World has a screenplay by Christopher Yost and Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Christopher Yost would go on to co-write Thor Ragnarok. Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely wrote Captain America The First Avenger and would go on to write The Winter Soldier, Civil War, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So this movie really does have some serious writing pedigree. The story was by Don Payne and Robert Rodat. It was directed by Alan Taylor and based on Thor by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber and Jack Kirby. Even before the release of Thor in May 2011, Kevin Feige had announced that post The Avengers, we would be seeing more of Thor on the big screen. But an official announcement for Thor 2 would come almost two months after the release of Thor and set an ambitious two-year production schedule, announcing a release date of July 2013. Sites immediately set to Kenneth Branagh to return for the follow-up, as well as enlist original writer Don Payne to work on a screenplay for a quick turnaround sequel. The pressure was on and Marvel Studios weren't pulling their punches. Despite his satisfaction with working on the first movie, Branagh spent a lot of time working on Thor and the exaggerated schedule enforced his decision to decline to return. Marvel turned its attention to finding a new director and landed on Game of Thrones director, no, not Alan Taylor, Brian Kirk. Kirk had also worked on acclaimed shows like Luther and Dexter, but would end up passing on Thor 2. Drew Goddard, who directed The Cabin in the Woods, that's episode 5 of this podcast, was also eyed, as was James McTeague, who directed Viva Vendetta, that's episode 67, and Noam Murrow, most famous for 300 Rise of an Empire. It would be Monsters Patty Jenkins, who then entered talks to direct, and she was confirmed as director in September 2011. And while this shouldn't really be a big deal, it was, at the time, 10 years ago, to hire a female director to helm your blockbuster superhero sequel. 
Jenkins, who had received critical and commercial acclaim for writing and directing Monster in 2003, starring Charlize Theron and Christina Ricci, had focused on TV directing in the intervening years between Monster and starting work on Thor The Dark World. Natalie Portman was especially thrilled at the prospect of working with Jenkins, and Jenkins had an idea for her Thor sequel as a Romeo and Juliet-style love story with Jane trapped on Earth, Thor trapped on Asgard, and Malekith using the fact that Odin is indifferent towards Earth as the place where he can store the dark energy and it becomes an epic war between the gods, the elves, with Earth in the middle. But essentially, it would be the star-crossed lovers' separation at the heart, and Jenkins was fully committed to her version of this story. So when Marvel bosses said they envisaged something else and gave her the script that they had been working on, Jenkins was less than impressed, and she saw the bigger picture. If this movie turned out to be a dud, it wouldn't be Marvel at fault, or Kevin Feige, or any other dude who worked on the movie. It would be her fault. It would be headlines of, first woman Marvel hires to direct, and it's bad. Because, let's be honest, women are treated way more critically than men are at the same job. The discourse around Thor The Dark World wasn't great with a male director, but had Patty Jenkins took the job without the passion for the script, she probably just would have ended up being the scapegoat, and she knew it. So three months later, she and Marvel parted ways amicably, citing creative differences. Additionally, leaving Thor when she did left her available to pitch for the Wonder Woman movie, and, well, thanks Marvel for not doing Patty Jenkins' version of Thor 2. A few weeks later, Marvel were considering Daniel Minahan, but ended up giving the directing job to another Game of Thrones alumnus, Alan Taylor, who'd also worked on The Sopranos and Mad Men. Taylor's work on Game of Thrones, on episodes such as the season two finale, Valar Morghulis, and the penultimate episode of season six, Beyond the Wall, made him seem suited for the medieval fantasy of Asgard. Meanwhile, Don Payne's script was in the throes of rewrites by Robert Rodat to make the Thor sequel darker and more grounded, and basically, to make it more Game of Thrones, but without sex and violence and blood and death and incest. Now, one of the major issues people have with this movie is its villain. Malekith is often pointed out as the MCU's weakest villain, with very little backstory, personality, or any level of understanding of his motives for wanting to plunge the world into darkness, just because. Mads Mikkelsen, who would go on to star as Caecilius in Doctor Strange, was offered the role. He would ultimately choose to star in the TV series Hannibal instead. Christopher Eccleston, the ninth Doctor himself, was ultimately cast in a role that he admitted much later down the line was literally just for the paycheck, and that he very much disliked the experience, to put it mildly. Indeed, most of the Malekith scenes were cut out due to reshoots, which would come later, bringing Eccleston's contribution way down and making Malekith less of a well-rounded, complex villain and more of a, well, Malekith. Arguably, with such a fantastic performance by a very much antagonistic Loki in the same movie, it's very hard for Eccleston to compete with that. And post-Avengers and his plan to rule the Earth as a benevolent god, just like his father, Loki's daddy issues were front and centre in the Dark World, making him empathetic to a degree, and a somewhat redemption-slash-death arc, which is so brilliantly lampooned in Thor Ragnarok that I can't help but think of Ragnarok now, because even the matching music is terrific as well. But ultimately... We needed a villain for this movie and Malekith fits that very cookie-cutter villain mould. The film had a working title of Thursday Morning, morning as in mourn the dead, and was announced to be titled Thor The Dark World at Santiago Comic-Con International in 2012. 
The principal cast were all signed on to return for filming to commence in autumn 2012, primarily here in the UK, with the exception of Josh Dallas, whose commitments to the TV show Once Upon a Time forced him to back out. Zachary Levi would replace him as Fandral. He was up for that part originally, but could take it due to commitments on the TV show Chuck. Filming took place at Bournewood, Surrey, West Kensington, London, Old Royal Neville College in Greenwich, Shepperton Studios, the Oxo Tower at South Bank, and at Charing Cross Tube Station, as well as at Skogafoss Waterfall and Reykjavik, Iceland, and probably most famously at Stonehenge, which took a long time to get the necessary permission to film at the historic site. And there were many caveats, including not being able to shoot while it was open to the public, probably a good thing considering Eric Selby's nakedness, and also they were not allowed to touch the famous stones. Coming after the Avengers and the post-credits, fine, I'll do it myself scene, meant the MCU was shaping up for the Infinity Saga. The Tesseract had been introduced in Captain America the First Avenger and used in the Avengers by Loki. The Ether, aka the Reality Stone, is absorbed by Jane and then by Malekith and then entrusted to the Collector on the Nowhere port for safekeeping and to keep away from the Tesseract. His looking for the other Infinity Stones meant that he was also keen to get his hands on the Power Stone for his collection in Guardians of the Galaxy, and this wasn't the only time the Avengers helped mould what became of Thor's Dark World. Because the script was having real difficulty with Loki, and with his mileage in the first Thor movie and the Avengers still fresh in not only the viewers' minds, but also Marvel's minds as well, capitalising on Tom Hiddleston proved to be one of the best things the Dark World actually does but they needed help finding Loki's voice. And in swooped serial problematic, I mean, seriously, I feature this guy enough on this podcast already, Joss Whedon. Whedon was fresh off the Avengers and Alan Taylor wanted to do more to include more Loki. He called in Whedon to help write dialogue and work on rewriting existing scenes for Loki, including the heart-to-heart between Thor and Loki on the boat to Loki's secret portal. Whedon was flown to the London set, set to work and flew back. And really, the relationship between Loki and Thor remains one of the most endearing in the MCU, and the character's growth over all his appearances really is one of the best ongoing arcs in the whole series. This movie was originally intended to be the end of the quote-unquote Loki trilogy, with Kevin Feige confirming the character's demise in November 2013. Test audiences, however, knew that this guy is the trickster god, so didn't believe the character was actually dead which led to a new ending being filmed, with the character instead impersonating the Allfather and sitting on the throne of Asgard, which, as we know, is basically what Loki has always wanted. Also brought on during work on other projects were Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who were, at the time, knee-deep in writing work for Captain America the Winter Soldier, when they also took on the mammoth task of rewriting Thor The Dark World. Between drafts of The Winter Soldier, they were called by Kevin Feige, And in between the leisurely pace for the Captain America sequel, which, let's be honest, is so much better than this movie, but I don't think that's an unpopular opinion, they had a month to do rewrites for the Thor sequel and they were adapting something that already existed rather than coming up with something new. They were chosen to balance the characters and plot because multiple people contributed to the screenplay and most of which remain uncredited. They were unsure if they would actually ever get a credit, but they would, along with Christopher Yost. Kramer Morgenthau, also from Game of Thrones, was brought on as director of photography and honestly this movie makes Asgard look not only as beautiful as Kenneth Branagh's Thor, but also adds more of an Asgardian community, more shots of everyday Asgardian life, 
It also makes Asgard feel a little bit grimy and a little bit dirty. Additionally, crews filmed on the coast of Norway by helicopter to use the beautiful landscapes to add more natural and Nordic feel to the Asgard scenes. CG was used almost exclusively in the introductory scenes for the Dark Elves, but impressively, the floating lorries were not. They were real trucks harnessed on a hydraulic rig which could spin and move at different speeds. For all of the Dark World's faults, there are some real beacons of light. The experience, though, wasn't great for Alan Taylor, who resented the fact that he had a vision for this movie, and ultimately what we got wasn't it. He claimed that during filming he was given absolute freedom, but post-production turned it into something else. The ever-growing vision and watchful eye of Kevin Feige wanted this movie to form a part of the bigger picture for the Infinity Saga, which almost certainly didn't fall into Patty Jenkins' remit either. Kevin Feige and his team realised that the movie they had wasn't working. A team was assembled and 35 additional days of reshoots were required. As the film was reworked, a humbling experience for Kevin Feige, whose team deconstructed the movie, as it was, to try and make it work. And as easy as it is for Alan Taylor to portray Marvel and Feige as the villains of this, Feige always has intricate plans for the universe and genuinely cared about making the dark world as good as it could be. I mean, whether you think it is as good as it could be is probably another matter entirely. Still, this is the only movie that qualifies as a double Christmas movie, with a Chris Evans cameo as Loki as Captain America. The scene started with Tom Hiddleston in the Captain America suit, and he wanted to do this literally because it was his one chance to wear the Captain America suit. Hiddleston did an impression of Loki as Captain America, which Chris Evans then copied when he cameoed. And in the next episode, trust me, we are going to wax lyrical over Anthony Hopkins as Loki as Odin, but the Dark World's Chris Evans as Loki as Captain America remains one of the most memorable cameos in the MCU. And maybe it's because it's in a movie that really struggles with its themes and conflicts. Maybe we just needed a moment to realise that ultimately, this story is about two princes, one who wants the throne too much and one who doesn't want the throne at all. And what that means to Odin, to Thor, to Loki and to Asgard. Of course, Thor the Dark World would be included in a pivotal scene in Endgame as a seriously struggling, depressed, PTSD-ridden Thor is given the chance to see his mother Frigga again. Frigga is so criminally unused in Thor, but at least gets a couple of moments to shine in this movie, including fighting off Malekith and defying her husband by still seeing her son in prison. Loki's complex, antagonistic relationship with Odin is mirrored by his relationship with and the love he has for Frigga. The fact that the last thing he says to her is that she's not his mother is genuinely heartbreaking. There are some really heartbreaking scenes, really beautiful scenes in this movie as well. One of the most beautiful and heartbreaking is Frigga's ship burial alongside the hundreds of Asgardians who also lose their lives when the Dark Elves attack and is soundtracked by a piece of music called Into Eternity. Norse ship burials were reserved for individuals of the highest honour and the ship would include extravagant grave goods, decadent ornaments. A funeral pyre was also common. And I mentioned last episode about the writings of Snorri Sturluson, the Icelandic poet and historian. In about 1225, he wrote Inglinga Saga, which deals with the Norse gods' arrival to Scandinavia and the first part of his history of the ancient Norse kings. In it, he writes, Thus he, Odin, established by law that all dead men should be burned and their belongings laid with them upon the pile and the ashes be cast into the sea or buried in the earth. 
Thus said he, everyone will come to Valhalla with the riches he had with him upon the pile, and he would also enjoy whatever he himself had buried in the earth. For men of consequence, a mound should be raised to their memory, and for all other warriors who had been distinguished for manhood, a standing stone, which custom remained long after Odin's time. And while it's not especially nice that Frigga has to die in this movie, ultimately it does serve that very cliched purpose of bringing these brothers together to actually work together and to settle their differences and actually make a start to healing. Which, out of all of these Thor movies, when we talk about Thor, we talk about Thor The Dark World, and to an extent Thor Ragnarok as well, these are movies about a very dysfunctional family. A family that is royal. These are the people that are supposed to be ruling Asgard. And yet there's so much dysfunction in this family. And as we're going to come to in Thor Ragnarok, there's so much history in this family that at this point in Thor The Dark World, no one knows the history of this family. And then when you realise that actually, is Odin the bad guy in all of this? Literally all of these movies, is Odin the bad guy? And then you maybe start to actually say, well, actually, yes, he kind of is the bad guy because he has conditioned his children to want to be rulers. We see scenes in Thor of these two boys who are told, you will be kings one day. And we know going into Thor Ragnarok as well, they are not the only children that Odin has had. And they are certainly not the only children that Odin has told you will be ruler of this realm one day. And so it makes complete sense that Loki has a real chip on his shoulder when it comes to his father and what his father expects of him and what his father demands of him. And when he goes to his father and says, look, father, I went to rule earth just like you and is basically punished for that. And exactly the same thing happens to Hela in Thor Ragnarok as well. As we're going to come to next episode, Next episode is going to be so much fun, by the way. It's already been recorded, so I know it's super fun. But the Thor movies are a hell of a lot more rich and interesting and varied than I think a lot of people give them credit for, especially this one. And I really do think if we didn't have Loki in this movie, if it was literally just Thor protecting the Earth, retrieving the ether, kissing Jane at the end, then it definitely would not be as good as this movie is. And this movie certainly does have problems, but I really enjoy this movie. Genuinely, I really enjoy it. I really don't see why so many people have hate for it because it's an easy movie to watch and it's got some good performances in it. Right, let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. Now, Keanu hasn't done anything with Alan Taylor, so I can't link to him like I did last episode for Kenneth Branagh. But I did find an IndieWire article linking the Game of Thrones episode The Bells directly to John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum for similarly ugly violence. And it is a really bad link because it's not even an episode of Game of Thrones that Alan Taylor actually directed. But, <laughs> but you knew it was going to be a bad one. And MCU movies are really tough to link Keanu to. And they have to be different every time, so we can't reuse it. So this was literally my only chance to get a Game of Thrones reference into the obligatory Keanu reference, so I'm taking it. Patrick Doyle had discussions for returning for the Dark World score. He did the score for the Thor movie, but Carter Burwell was hired in April 2013. He left over creative differences. Brian Toyler, who also scored Iron Man 3, replaced Burwell, and he chose epic regal themes. And as I mentioned, there's some beautiful pieces of music here, one of which 
is used again for Thor Ragnarok. I think you know which one I mean. The marketing for Thor The Dark World also imitated Iron Man 3. The poster for Thor The Dark World was criticised for being too similar to Iron Man 3's poster. Tom Hiddleston famously appeared at the 2013 San Diego Comic-Con in character as Loki, where as Kevin Feige is talking about the post-production of Thor The Dark World, the stage goes dark. Humanity. Look how far you've fallen. Lining up in the sweltering heat for hours. Huddling together in the dark. Like beasts. I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. Stand back, you mewling quim. <laughs> The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for a place in this chamber. In this meager palace of Midgard. The arena they call Hall H. Where are your Avengers now? Say my name. Loki. Say my name. Loki. Say my name. Loki. Say my name. But seriously, is there an actor who doesn't love his character as much as Tom Hiddleston loves Loki and also loves the fans? Both he and Chris Hemsworth are genuinely brilliant casting choices. This goes all the way back to Kenneth Branagh in Thor. It also proved to be a great marketing ploy because Thor The Dark World, despite its issues, did rather well. The world premiere of Thor The Dark World took place on the 22nd of October 2013 at the Odeon Leicester Square in London. The film was released theatrically in the UK on the 30th of October. It held its North American premiere at the El Capitan Theatre in Hollywood and was released in the US on the 7th of November 2013, where it hit number one in the box office with no major releases the same week. It stayed at number one for two weeks before being dethroned by The Hunger Games Catching Fire. It actually took just 19 days for Thor The Dark World to outgross Thor. On a budget of $170 million, it would gross $206.4 million in the US and $438.4 million worldwide for a worldwide gross of $644.8 million. That is almost $200 million more than its predecessor. 
And I mentioned earlier the fear from Patty Jenkins of delivering a Marvel movie as a woman that didn't do very well and how she might be blamed for that. Critically, Thor The Dark World was the lowest rated MCU film on Rotten Tomatoes at 66% until The Eternals was released in 2021, directed by Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao. And there are unfortunately a few people on the internet who are blaming Chloe Zhao for The Eternals being different and less well-received than other Marvel movies. Admittedly, it's not a movie that I've seen yet, so I can't pass judgment, but going from a small indie movie to a huge big-budget Marvel movie is a massive step for anyone, let alone a female director in Hollywood. And it was one that Patty Jenkins wasn't prepared to do till 2017's Wonder Woman, and we all know how fantastic that movie is, despite its... CGI bust up at the end. But anyway, I'll come to Wonder Woman on the podcast at some point in the future because I do love that movie a hell of a lot. But for all the discourse around the dark world, because or perhaps in spite of it, in 2017, we got Thor Ragnarok. Now, Serta was considered to be a villain for this movie, but we ended up getting him for that movie. And Thor Ragnarok turned out to be one of the highlights of the MCU for so many reasons. And more on that, next week. Let's move over to social media thoughts. So I like to find out what other people think about the movies that I feature. And I ask on Patreon and I ask on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Now, last week, so many comments on Thor, which I kind of expected because it is the first movie of this trilogy. It is a character that so many people have grown to love over the years. Not many comments on The Dark World, but some really positive comments on The Dark World, which is lovely. So we're going to start with the patrons and we're going to start with Andy. And Andy says, So, Thor The Dark World. Honestly, not technically a bad movie. However, it suffers from just being unremarkable. Many of its issues lie in the fact that it was a second film to follow The Avengers. And I know many people's mileage varies on Iron Man 3, but really doesn't know where it needs to go to continue the story. Many of the returning characters feel just like that returning characters, and while Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston are still bringing their A-game, Thor The Dark World feels the most sequel-like of any film in the MCU. And of course, you should know by now, if you're a regular listener, you should know that Andy has his own podcast, it's called Geek Salad, and they love the MCU over at Geek Salad, because what is more geek than Marvel? Not very much. So if you're into the MCU and you're into basically anything geek, TV, movies, games, music, get geeky music. I don't think you can, but it doesn't matter because they cover anything and everything over on Geek Salad. So make sure you check out Geek Salad. I will put some information in the show notes. And we also have a Patreon comment from Brendan who says, Thought the Dark World's biggest sin is that it's functional but unremarkable. This was already a stumbling block in 2013, but highly obvious after so many stellar MCU sequels, including the Dark World's own rock opera follow-up, but it doesn't stop the film from having lasting highlights. The backbone of this series was built in Thor and Loki's evolving dynamic, which this ably serves. The supporting cast from Thor 1 get a more active role in the finale to solid effect, and I cannot dislike a movie that features black hole grenades and casually drops a Rocky Horror Picture Show reference. But the spark just isn't there, and even Hemsworth seemed to know it. Mightily they work to carry the film through changing directors and undercooked story, Loki's Steve Rogers impression still whips though. Moving over to Twitter, we have at the cinema guys. And from Brad's comment last episode, I knew that he was going to come up with something really positive. 
And he says, I really like Dark World a lot. I feel it set a much better tone for all the characters and the world than the first one did, which is one of the weakest Marvel movies in my opinion. Give me more Dark Elves. At Craig SG1 said, Well, what can I say? I may be in the minority, but I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I don't understand why it's been moaned as much as it is. Maybe it's the high bar Marvel set for itself, but I like the Dark Elves and Christopher Eccleston is underused, but great. Give it a chance, people. And Brad at the Cinema Guys came back and just said what they said. So Brad and Craig really love this movie. And as I said, there is a lot to actually enjoy in this movie. I really like the fact that Jane gets more to do, that Darcy gets more to do, that Frigga gets more to do. And I love the dynamic between Loki and Thor, genuinely. Their relationship is the reason I come back to this movie as much as I do. So I absolutely understand that. Over on Instagram, at Friendly Sparpod said, The criticisms of this movie are fair. It did bring the same grandiosity, totally a word, that Branagh brought, but the performances are still wonderful and it gave us Zachary Levi in the MCU, damn it. No comments over on Facebook. And as I said, not as many comments on Thor The Dark World, which is kind of understandable. Unfortunately, there will be no comments for Thor Ragnarok because that episode is already recorded. But... I can imagine there would be a hell of a lot of comments. But as always, a huge thank you to everyone who's taken the time to give comments on Thor The Dark World. And to say Thor The Dark World is divisive is putting it mildly. Compared to the first movie, this shows a different version of these characters. At the end of Thor, we saw the titular character learn the true meaning of sacrifice and being a hero and a good future king. Here we see a man split between his love for Jane Foster and his homeworld of Asgard choosing not to take the throne when it's offered to him by his father, but also not really choosing Jane either, as we only find out they break up off screen. Arguably, Natalie Portman is given more to do, but she was none too happy at the project losing Patty Jenkins, and so basically fulfilled her role out of contractual obligations. It is fantastic, however, that she will be back for Thor, Love and Thunder. Would Patty Jenkins' version have been better? Would the Taylor cut have been better? Who knows? For all Marvel's prowess and skill of its collective universe, sometimes things just don't work and they aren't given the time to do so. Also just here for the money is Christopher Eccleston, who could have been a great MCU villain had Malekith actually been developed and used correctly. Malekith tends to be the go-to bad MCU villain over similar template villains like Yellowjacket and Caecilius, but at least the movies they're in aren't seen as quite so formulaic. Arguably, Adewale, Akinoye, and Bajo's Algrin also suffers a similar fate of just being a standard nobody villain. A lot of those two characters' relationship and backstory ended up being removed from the film. And I do wonder what the so-called tailor cut of this movie would have been. But unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to know <laughs> what it is. Just purely because the executives at Marvel obviously realised that this was not working, that they needed to do something to make it work. and so. What was will ultimately never, ever be released. This is not like a Snyder Cut situation here. I'm not demanding release the Taylor Cut because I'm not an um, entitled a-hole. But all of the Dark World's problems would be fixed five years later in Thor Ragnarok, which soft-rebooted the characters and injected much-needed colour and humour, as well as tackling the family dynamics, acknowledging Thor's responsibility to the people of Asgard, as well as retaining Loki and building on that partnership. And that partnership is honestly the backbone of the whole Thor franchise. And aren't we all 
Loki, that he's still around at this point. I know that I am. And that's a terrible joke. <laughs> that is a terrible pun, but I'm keeping it. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Thor The Dark World. And if you have enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed other episodes and you want to give me a bit of a boost, because honestly, it really does give me a bit of a boost, you could leave a rating or review on someone at Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you found this podcast. You can simply tell a friend or family member about this awesome podcast that you found that's talking about the Thor trilogy. And I'll be completely honest, and I know I've mentioned this several times, you will want to hear the episode on Thor Ragnarok. You will want to be here for that. And you will want your friends and family to be here for that. So please tell a friend or family member about this podcast, or you can just follow me on social media. I'll let you know the handles in a little bit and you can retweet or like posts because that always helps a little bit too. If you like this episode specifically on Thor The Dark World, you might also like one of the following previous episodes. And as I said last time, I've covered so many MCU movies now, but I wanted to focus on episodes that featured Thor. So episode 97, The Avengers, 98, Avengers Age of Ultron, 99, Avengers Infinity War, 100, Avengers Endgame, and 128, Thor, because they've all got Thor in them. And it's a really nice progression to see the character and how he evolves and how Loki evolves as well within those movies. As always, give me feedback. Let me know what you thought of my recommendations. And I've teased it quite a lot. And you know what's coming next. You know it's Thor Ragnarok. But did you know that I'm bringing someone along for the ride for Thor Ragnarok? He is going to be my Valkyrie for this episode because not that I'm suggesting that he drinks. But he's very cool and very funny, just like Valkyrie is. And I love Valkyrie. And, and I love this guy. Sam from Movie Reviews in 20 Qs is going to be joining me for an episode of Thor Ragnarok. Now, it was recorded several weeks ago. And did you know that Sam very nearly became an extra on Thor Ragnarok? So it's almost like having actual Chris Hemsworth or Taika Waititi on this podcast. Sam is not only a huge fan of the MCU, he's a huge fan of Taika Waititi, and he's also an amazing podcaster as well. I've recommended his podcast movie reviews in 20 Qs so many times. Having him come on was a heap of fun. So, as I've said several times in this episode, make sure you join Sam and I next week as we discuss Thor Ragnarok. It is going to be amazing. That genuinely, it's an amazing movie, he's an amazing guest, and it's an amazing chat. So, Please join us next week for Thor Ragnarok. As I said, I am on social media. You can follow me at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. If you want to sign up on Patreon to support the show, it's verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. Huge thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, and Chris. I think you missed a column. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also visit verbaldiorama.com and say hi on there. You can pop over to filmstories.co.uk. There's a new issue of the magazine coming and I write articles for that every week as well. And finally. I fool, you didn't listen. I know. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. Stay with me. <laughs>
you did here today. I didn't do it for him. Lady Sif, get help! Somebody help! Sorry for all I've done. Shh. It's all right. Hold on. Sorry. I tried to rule Earth. I'd be lucky to have you. I'm sorry about that thing with the Tesseract. I just couldn't help myself. I know. I'm a trickster. Yes. So mischievous. Yes. Sorry about that time I turned you into a frog. It was a wonderful joke. It was indeed hilarious. <laughs> you are the savior of Asgard. Tell my story. Build a statue for me. We will build a big statue for you. With my helmet on. With the big bendy horns. I will tell father what you did here today. I didn't do it for him. I didn't do it for him. And so Loki died of his wounds, giving his life for ours. He fought back those disgusting elves. He brought peace to the realm. Loki, my boy. It was many moons ago I found you on that frostbitten battlefield. On that day, I did not yet see in you Asgard's savior, no. You were merely a little blue baby icicle that melted this old fool's heart. Bravo, bravo, bravo. 